Well, do you remember a top Christmas wish list item? Yes, it's September. School hasn't started, and I'm talking about Christmas. Just go with me for a second. Top Christmas wish list items. So, uh, real quick, I just pulled through like the last 40 years of childhood changing Christmas items. So, here's Pet Rock. I still don't understand this one. How is that a thing, but it, it was, and it was huge. And Mr. Potato Head, I found out that's 1952, that thing came out. We're still giving that to our kids. That's pretty incredible. Hungry Hungry Hippos. Now, a lot of you know I'm a board gamer. This is not the type of game I play when I talk about games, just so you know. Um, Cabbage Patch Doll, pretty awesome one. My wife would say the true beauty of this one is the nostalgia in the smell. It's the smell of the Cabbage Patch doll. Transformers, awesome, love those, still great with my kids today. Um, Game Boy, I was a huge Nintendo guy, secret, I still am a huge Nintendo guy, had everything that they've made pretty much. Now the Talk Boy, man, Home Alone made this thing explode, you know, changing your voice and all of that, that was a great one. Tamagotchi, I never got into those ones, but that was, you know, 24-7, take care of somebody. Um, and then this one, a fingerling. Oh, I've heard kids say it. Okay, I had never seen this before in my life. And um, they, it's supposed to be the hottest thing right now. And uh, someone yesterday, Jackie's on her staff. This morning, she brought me a couple. And I was like, okay, I was thinking about bringing them on stage. They don't be quiet. They just keep chirping and chirping and chirping. So instead, I just hid them in the green room for the worship team to find later. Um, so that, that's a finger link. But I remember when I was a kid, there's one that I just burned in my brain of how badly I wanted it, and it was the super scope. I mean, I was a little bit older kid, but I wanted the super scope. I mean, this was the big time upgrade from the duck hunt gun. I mean, you go from this to this. I mean, it's just a... Great, and I wanted to play it with what was, I knew was going to be my favorite game, The Hunt for Red October. And that's still a top 10 movie for me. I mean, my dad and I will still call each other and start doing Sean Connery, the bullet chin head, don't react well to me, you know, and start saying that on the phone. And, um, but anyway, I ended up getting this gift, and it was such this awesome gift. But I think a lot of us can remember a time when we were a kid or even now, where we had something on the wish list, but then we didn't get it. And each gift that you opened was just a reminder that you weren't gonna get it. And you're going, oh, now it's delayed, I'm not gonna get it this year. And I think for a lot of us, is sometimes how we feel with God when we're praying, and he doesn't come through, and he delays. What do we do when he delays? And today we're going to be looking at just that, a time where Jesus is going to delay. Yes, the most trustworthy, reliable, timely person in the universe is going to delay. And so why does he do that? Why would he do that? And what do we do in response to when God delays? Before we jump to the passage, just one quick thing. Kids and students, there are some clues along the way as we look through the scripture that Jesus has something up his sleeve. Adults, you can do it too. Think about what are these clues, that Jesus has something up his sleeve. Maybe write them down, think about them, and then we're gonna hit to them in a little bit. But now that we're there, let's jump into the passage. We're in 
John chapter 11, verse 1. So, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Okay, a little sidebar here, this moment where Mary has wiped uh, the perfume on, on Jesus' feet. Um, this is even, hasn't even happened yet in the story, but John is pointing it out. It's possible that everyone in the early Christian church knew about this person that did that, and it's connecting it to the person of Mary and then connecting Lazarus to her. Okay, verse three. So the sisters sent word to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Wait a second, what? He heard that he was sick and now he waits two more days? This doesn't make any sense to me. Why, why would he wait? And I think, if you think about it, we felt this way before. We were so sure God was gonna do X. And then he doesn't show up. Where is he? Where is God? And so right out of the gate, you might have missed it. It's the first thing we can do when God delays. Here's the first thing. Remind God of how much he loves you and those around you. Remind God of how much he loves you and those around you. Now you're thinking, okay, Jonathan, you don't need to remind God of anything. You don't need to remind him. But when we look at scripture and the conversations that God's people are having with God, they are continually over and over again, especially in the Psalms, reminding God of his love, reminding God of his promises, reminding God of his faithfulness. And in turn, we are being reminded of who he is and what he's done so that we can be reminded of his love for us and those around us. Let me put it this way. God loves you more than you desire him to love you. You ever thought about that? When you feel like you're just desiring to be loved, God loves you more than you desire him to love you and those around you. And, and Mary and Martha in this passage know this about Jesus. That's why they call out to him. Verse, uh, verse three, Lord, the one you love is sick, speaking of Lazarus. And they know that Jesus loves Lazarus as much as they do, and they also believe and know, um, spoiler alert, that Jesus is the son of God, and so suspect he loves them even more than they do. And calling out to Jesus is an opportunity for them to increase their hope increase their faith. Reminding him of what they know about him increases our hope, increases our faith. And let me just hit a quick aside to the guys right now. I'm just talking to guys. Kids, students, adults, guys, okay? Um, Jesus and Lazarus are friends. And it's widely known to those around them about their love for one another. Well, at least from the text for Jesus' love for Lazarus. And I think if we're honest, it'd be easier for us as guys to tell a random stranger, Jesus loves you, than would to say to your best friend, love you, man. 
It might be easier for us to build a fence for a complete stranger to spend all day than it might to give our best friend a hug. Now, I know you're thinking, okay, yeah, Jonathan, all right. I'll say love more. I'll do the bro hug thing a little bit more often. I'll, I'll do that. But seriously, just for, for one second, think about this. Does the way you love the other guys around you look differently than the rest of the world around you? Does it look differently? Because when I look at Jesus, his way does. And as men, we have so many messages telling us who we are. And we have to look at what God has designed for us, what we're supposed to look like, and that's in Jesus. And so if you're looking to take that just next step of what it looks like to be the man that God's designed you to be, we talked about it earlier. Sign up for that men's breakfast in the month. Take two hours. Have some pancakes, some sausage. Take in, take in a step forward in being the man God's designed you to be. I'd encourage you to do that. Okay, let's, let's get back to the text now. Verse 14. So, Jesus then told the disciples plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. All right, I know we're only one verse in, but we're already at the second thing to do when God delays, which is to entrust God with the unseen realm. Entrust God with the unseen realm. Okay, I don't know if you notice, but listen to what Jesus says. Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there. Lazarus, a friend of Jesus, presumably friends uh, to the disciples as well, is saying, I was not, I'm glad I was not there when my friend died. I can't imagine any of us saying this. This is crazy here. Besides, in verse four, we already just read it. Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. And now he's saying he's dead. So Jesus, you got my mind and my heart doing roller coasters here. I don't know what think here and you you can just imagine the disciples looking at each other going I I don't know I don't I don't know what's going on and but you see it's when we don't know don't understand and can't know everything this is where real trust is going to earn its medals this is where real trust is going to earn its medals and um, I know it's tough because we feel like trust feels a little bit like this. Uh, I'll show a little quick uh, video here. There's no audio. We feel like we're in this dark pit cave and we're just this helpless sheep in need of a great shepherd. And we just need someone to come alongside us and just pull us out of this dark, dark tunnel where we can't see anything, we don't know anything, we don't know if anything's ever going to happen, and uh, yes, sometimes we need Jesus to lead us like this, and we are going to face those moments in our, in our life, um, but I just thought that was pretty cool. Now, if you notice, he had this, the sheep had this giant bushy tail, I was talking with our lighting guy, he knows a lot about sheep, I guess, I didn't know this, he's a pilot, and he's like, oh, they cut that tail off. I saw it, I'm like, it's a weird sheep. I started Googling it. and Anyway, but that's pretty normal. Um, but anyways, that's a little sidebar. Okay, back to the text. So we've had 
up to this point, we've already found all our clues, okay? If you've been thinking about them, looking for them, we've already got them all. So we're going to look at the clues now, and the clues are what are going to lead us to trust. When we look back at our lives, when we look back to Scripture, there are clues all along the way that lead us to trust Jesus. And so let's look at those right now. The end of verse 4 reads this, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So clue number one, Jesus has something up his sleeve. Jesus will be glorified through Lazarus. Something is going to happen. He's going to be glorified because of it. So he's got something up his sleeve. All right, the end of verse 14 and 15 says, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. So clue number two, Jesus' followers will increase their belief through what happens with Lazarus. Their belief is going to increase because of what happens with Lazarus. This hasn't happened yet, so we have a clue that something is about to happen. Okay, and here's clue number three. Here's my favorite one, one I've never seen before, and so I'm excited to share it with you. It's one that Matthew Henry, a famous commentator on Scripture, points out. It's because Jesus says, let us go to him. And so this is what Matthew Henry says about this. Jesus resolves now to go to Bethany and take his disciples along with him. Let us go unto him, not let us go to his sisters to comfort them, but let us go to him. For Christ can show wonders to the dead, death, which will separate us from all our other friends and cut us from correspondence with them, cannot separate us from the love of Christ, nor put us out of the reach of his calls, and he will maintain his covenant with the dust so he can make visits to the dust. Lazarus is dead, but let us go to him. Let us go to him. See, things we can trust God because he can back up the seemingly crazy things he says. We can trust God because he can back up the seemingly crazy things he says. So let's keep looking to the passage. We're in verse 17 now. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. I love the faith of Martha right here. She says, even after four days of her brother being dead, even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Okay, another sidebar here. Many of you remember the story of Mary and Martha from Luke. Martha doing all the stuff in the kitchen, Mary at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus saying, hey, this is where Mary's supposed to be. But we can now see since that moment till this moment that Martha has spent a lot of time at the feet of Jesus. And her faith is huge. And she even knows about the resurrection prophecies that Jesus talks about. And so it should be an encouragement to us that if we spend time in prayer, in scripture, and surrender to God, that he will increase our faith just as he did in the life of Martha here. 
All right, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. Why does she say it like that? Who is to come into the world? Jesus is standing right in front of her. Why would she say that? Okay, so the Old Testament is always talking about this Messiah who is to come into the world. That's the language that they use, and she's using it here to connect that with the person of Jesus. Verse um, 28. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come along her with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And that's the third thing we can do when God delays. Weep. Weep. You know, we have permission to weep. For many of us, we will see many delays and then we'll see God come through. And maybe many of you have heard that that trust-based answer, a delay is not a denial. It's a great thing to remember. But if we're saying that while covering up our guttural response to, to cry and to weep and to mourn what's happening, we aren't being authentic. And I've been guilty of this many times because I think what happens is we start to believe that if we had more true trust or true faith or true belief, that that is the exact opposite of weeping. And that if we knew more about our situation or we knew that we had more power to fix it and have more trust, there would be less weeping when in fact we can deeply feel and believe at the same time, both those things. We can deeply feel the weeping and the belief that God has something for us. You see, because when we look at this passage, Jesus knew everything that had happened before he had even arrived. And he knows everything that's about to happen. And he had all the power in the universe to address it. So why does he weep? Why does he weep? Because the reality is we live in a broken world. Sin has wreaked havoc on our planet and all people. And we hear, we've heard that phrase, a delay is not a denial. But sometimes we feel like it is a denial. And the harsh reality is that sometimes it is a denial. Just like that Christmas wish list I talked about earlier. We didn't get the gift, but... We know we might get it later, but it doesn't feel that way. It feels like we'll never get it. 
And the reality is we may not ever get it. But here's the thing about this passage. Jesus knew the gift was coming. And he was going to provide it in just a few minutes, a few minutes away, but still he stops to weep. Why? I love Tim Keller's answer to this question, preaching five days after 9-11. Because Jesus is perfect. He's perfect love. He has perfect knowledge of the future, but he has perfect love and engagement with the situation. You see, Jesus feels the brokenness of death here. And he also knows that this is not what he intended for us. It did not look like this, and so he weeps. He weeps with those around him, weeping. And so we can weep too, knowing that God weeps with us even in his perfect knowledge of the future. He weeps with us, even with his perfect knowledge of the future. And that perfect love, that weeping that he has here in the passage, it says something to those around him as well. So let's jump back in. 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. Do we need to remind Martha real quick of what she said in verse 22? Which she said, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. She's believed that resurrection is possible and she's worried about the smell. But I think if you and me are honest, this is how we are sometimes. When we're far away from a situation, we have increased faith, increased belief. But as we get closer to the situation, I know I've done this, we start making excuses for God not to do it. We're guarding our hearts, making excuses for God not to work, or if he does this, that just means that's okay, that means he'll do this thing. Don't give God excuses. He doesn't need them. Don't give God excuses. Don't make excuses for God. And so, when we have that feeling where we want to Make excuses for God. What do we do? It's the same thing we do when God delays, which is pray for faith beyond our understanding. Pray for faith. Like Pastor Henry was talking about last week that we're all gonna face desperate times. And in fact, he said each day has desperation in it. And he addressed it so well, I'm not gonna go into it, but if that's something that hits with you, I would encourage you to go back, look at the video on the website or audio on the podcast and listen to that passage in Henry's sermon. Because we are all gonna need faith beyond our understanding. If we don't feel like we need it now, we are gonna need it at some point. And so let's get it now. And the thing is, it's gonna be the most hard when something's personally, emotionally difficult for us 
or for the people that are around us. But the thing is we can be reminded of this, that God is the God of the impossible. And that's what we're reminded of here in verse 40 and following. So let's jump in. Verse 40, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. So Jesus, he's, he's finally here. He's moved to tears. He's come to the tomb with Mary, Martha, the Jews, and the gathering crowd. He's asked them to open the tomb to a presumably four-day decomposing body with a heavy stench and a reminder of Lazarus' dead body to those who have been mourning to only increase their weeping and wailing. But then Jesus calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! Just think about being there in that moment. You'd be looking at Jesus going, your, your heart is up in your throat. You're not able to breathe. Adrenaline is going up and down your body. You're not even sure what to think. You're not even sure where to look. Do I look inside the tomb? Do I look to Jesus? Do I look with the friend I came with going, I didn't know what was gonna happen today. But then within a few seconds before you're even able to have any thought, Lazarus comes out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. One Puritan writer said that had Jesus not named Lazarus, he would have emptied the whole cemetery. Think about that. (laughs) This story is incredible. I mean, it's one of the most incredible stories in scripture. It only increases in power in your life as you believe more it's true. This is a true story. This happened in real history. It's the last miracle before the last week of Jesus' life leading up to the cross. But to be honest with you, something bugged me about this passage. It's one of those huge, huge passages, amazing. And we have four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's only in John. It's the only spot you're going to find it is in John. And I'm going, what? what? Why is it not in? This is one of the best stories. So I'm scouring the commentaries, looking at church history, looking at all sorts of resources to figure this out. I mean, like, I went to seminary. I don't even remember this. And I think what I found was the most likely of answers. You're not going to ever fully resolve this question. But here's the most likely of answers. Both the Catholic Church and the Greek Orthodox Church agree that Lazarus, their tradition, that he lived years beyond the life of Christ. And that the religious leaders that wanted to kill him because he's been resurrected, we're not going to look at that today, but that's what they want to do, um, stopped pursuing him or Lazarus fled to another way. And so in John, out of the four Gospels, was written last, historically. So all four of these things point us to something. That Lazarus, the reason why he's not put in until John, Lazarus is alive. 
this whole time. He's a living testimony to what was happening in the early church, going around with his sisters, sharing this incredible story of being raised from the dead. When we look at scripture, there's not very many people that can tell that story and how powerful it would have been to the listener and to have those witnesses corroborating it and with the power of Jesus now at this point to come through the Holy Spirit into their life. And, and for us, this, this is also our story. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says this, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Alive together with Christ. See, Lazarus' physical resurrection points to the greater miracle of Christ's death and resurrection and us and our spiritual resurrection being made alive with him and be with him forever. And now as Lazarus was surely telling everyone of his story, this should be our privilege to be able to share the alive-making story that Jesus has done in our life with all those who we meet. See, this was a miraculous and life-altering story for Lazarus. And for those of us who have placed our trust and surrender to Jesus, it's a miraculous and life-altering story for us. And we need to share that with those around us. They need to hear the power of Jesus in your life. So, in light of the passage today, I want us to take some time to respond. That's why we do it every week. We hear from God's word. We're here to experience God, to encounter God, and respond to him because of what his word says. And we have lots of opportunities to do that. For followers of Christ, we can remember Christ's sacrifice on the cross, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us in communion. Maybe for you today, you just need to pray for understanding. Maybe you need to take some time or kneeling station in the back and pray for that. Maybe you are just burdened by someone who doesn't know Jesus and you want to pray for the light of Christ into their life. You can come to the candles up here and do that. Maybe you need someone to pray with you and for you. You can have do that in the corner over there. Either way, we have an opportunity each week to respond. Our Christian life is all about that, revealing about who God is and responding to him in relationship over and over again. That's why we do our service the way we do. Remind us that this is what our daily life can be like. As we enter into that, would you pray with me?